Welcome to the Gorgeous Lunch, a podcast where we talk about the food people are talking about. I'm your host, Lyndon. And I'm your other host, Louise. Join us every episode as we discover the ultimate restaurant for experiencing each month's featured spice, sample the food, and pester the chef for tips to make your kitchen more thrilling. joining us for the Brick Lane edition. We have a great episode in store for you today. This month, members of the Gorgeous Spice Club are receiving a package of ground turmeric, the golden spice. You're making that sound totally sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is kind of, right? And Brick Lane Takeaway, which is our very own curry blend. We named our blend Brick Lane Takeaway after the famous street in Shoreditch, London, England. This particular street has more than 50 curry restaurants and has been designated the curry capital of the world. And curry takeout, or takeaway as the Brits say, is a real thing, much more than it is here in Canada. I mean, we have some great places and curry is wildly popular, but I was reading somewhere that sales of curry takeout contribute more than five billion pounds annually to the British economy. Isn't that unbelievable? Shocking, huh? Kind of wild. Did you know that some Land Rovers, and I think Nissans too, are equipped with a curry hook? That's what it's called. It's a little hook that you can hang a plastic bag from, so shopping or groceries, whatever. But it's specifically designed so that the curry doesn't tip over and make a mess of your vehicle. I want one of those. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Yeah. We are pretty psyched to be speaking today with Andrew Carter at the Oxley. Andrew's prowess as a fabulous chef is impressive. And his lamb curry is touted as the best in Toronto. Full disclosure, I have tasted Andrew's lamb curry, and it is definitely awesome, but also not for the faint of heart. It packs a lot of heat. Before we meet with Andrew, we want to tell you a bit about the Gorgeous Spice Club. Yeah, here's a quick backstory. Both of us, Louise and I, love to cook and specifically to share these meals with family and friends. We notice that sometimes when we're cooking, certain meals are just a little extra special to make and to share. The secret seems to be spices. Spices just bring so much incredible flavor to a dish particularly when they're fresh. And we discovered that there are so many fascinating spice stories. Their histories, uses, even intrigues. Which makes for a great dinner conversation. I just love being able to serve something and talk about some interesting fact or backstory to the ingredients, don't you? Most definitely. So the Gorgeous Spice Club helps you to dazzle the people that you're cooking for. Each month, We send out a surprise package that includes one gorgeous spice and an incredible spice blend. And we wrap it all up in some tasty pop culture, along with information and inspiration to keep the conversation. Here we are today with Andrew Carter at the Oxley at the corner of Yorkville and Hazleton. 
I discovered you years ago at the Queen and Beaver when I had your lamb curry, which was amazing. <laughs> you're quite uh, you're quite well known for your curries here in Toronto. We are doing Brick Lane takeaway as our blend that we will deliver to our various charter members and new members. And so we're pretty excited to talk to you about curries. Great. Can you tell us, just to get started, how you ended up coming to Toronto? Um, oh, well, I'll give you a brief history of myself. Um, I am the son and the grandson of butchers. So that's how I got into the restaurant world. Uh, I worked in England. I uh, did a, a brief stint in France and in Switzerland at a very young age. Then I worked, into, worked in London uh, under some, uh, in some great kitchens in London. Uh, one of the chefs was Nico Dennis, who was one of the first English chefs to get three Michelin stars. So the guys who came out of his kitchens would be the Gordon Ramses, the Marco Pierre Whites, uh, all the big boys came wow. out of there. Pierre Kaufman was there as well. So there's a there's a lot the the heritage that came out of his kitchens was huge. So I used to be one of his sous chefs in a, in a place called Nico Central, and then when I was there, uh, we were we we were working you know ridiculous hours, 12, 14 hours in a basement. You didn't see the sunlight. You'd go in in the morning first thing. And by the time we got out, it was midnight, so you never saw the sun. Later on, I, I met up with some people who were traveling, and a couple of those guys were Canadians. So I came over here, and I started working for a guy who used to work for Nico, a guy called Tony Muth, uh, who owned a restaurant called Herb's Restaurant at Young and Lawrence. So that was my in into into Canada. I went to that restaurant. It was, it was a, a great place. Yeah, it was Fantastic lovely. Yeah. yeah, very nice, very classic, and uh, great clientele. Great wine list as well. Uh, and then uh, I actually went back to uh, university. I was actually going to get out of the industry. And I decided to go to, back to university, got myself into university for six years, came out with a degree in environmental science, came out with a master's in management, was going to go into the environmental field, but there was always this little voice in the back of my head saying, do what you know, do what you know, do what you know. By the way, those two, the combination of those two degrees, a business degree or management degree and sort of environmental are probably what would be recommended for any chef now. <laughs> like, you were ahead of your time. Yeah. That in a strong marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, it was something that I had a passion about. I love being in the outdoors. I love to hike. And I wanted to understand a little bit more about the environment. So I majored in hydrology in my degree. And then I wanted to get something a little bit more. So that was the master's. So I spent a year doing the master's. And then I came back, but like I was saying, there was this little voice saying, do what you know, because if I got into, into the environmental world, I was a, on the bottom rung. I had no experience. Whereas in the restaurant trade, I brought 20 years of experience. And uh, so it was like, okay. Um, I went out to California for a little while, uh, just to see what was going on down there. And then I met up with my uh, partner and we opened up uh, the Queen and Beaver. So can I ask, how old were you when you started this? Oh, I forget age. About. I only feel 25 now, so yeah. it's okay, entirely were, relevant, you were quite six, frankly. You were 16. Okay, Yeah, I it. felt like I was 16. Well, it was so, how many years ago was that? So seven, uh, we were about 10 years, 11 years, 11 years ago when we opened up the Queen of Yeah, right. And it was funny because we opened up the Queen of Beaver and it was English food, and at that time it was like, well... You know, I even had James Shadow come into the restaurant with his wife. I didn't know him at the time. And I went up to him because the, the dining room was kind of empty. And I wanted to, as we do, we want to be hospitable, start having a conversation. And it turned out to be James Shadow. And he said, <laughs> he said I love this, but I don't know if Toronto's going to get it. 
Right. And it was it was so scary because we'd put our all into it. We put a lot of money into it. Well, we that was there. really the first gastro pub, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, one Toronto? of the first. Uh, you know, Keeley Cottage opened up in around about the same time. That was more of an Irish uh, gastro pub. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Queen and Beaver was one of the first. And uh, after a roundabout, I look would at say, what you've started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken over again. Yeah. <laughs> After a couple of months, it started to take off, and the place has been busy ever since. So even today, the Queen and Beaver is a tremendously popular place to go to. Three years into that, I kind of got at this itch, which I couldn't get an anointment for, so I had to open up another <laughs> And so we started looking around, and uh, this location, the Oxley, uh, came towards us. And uh, it took us about a year to get the lease sorted out, uh, as these things always do with restaurants, because people get really emotionally attached to restaurants and they put a massive value on what they think it's worth. It wasn't worth that, but we went through negotiations. We, we, we got the deal that we wanted and we renovated, opened up. And the Oxley from that day forth uh, in Yorkville has just never stopped. We, we are, in all intents and purposes, we're a 100 seat restaurant. We'll do up to 500 people a day. Wow. It's just, it just keeps going. We're full all the time. Wow. And we're open seven days a week. We're open lunch, dinner, and brunch. And uh, it's just been tremendously popular. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a testament to, to the idea. Uh, it's a testament to the staff that we have here, the management crew that we have running what we do, and the detail that we go into. Well, um, I've got to say, I think the Oxley is an oasis in Yorkville <laughs> because... When you think of Yorkville restaurants, you think of high-end, super expensive, kind of posh, kind of, you know, see and be seen a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's other restaurants. But you don't really think of, I just want to go and hang out and meet some friends and have some really good food. And that's what the Oxley is. It's this wonderful, charming, affordable, delicious meeting place mm -hmm. right in the center of town. Yeah, with it. With element of this kind of sophistication you feel like you're transported to the you know to London in the yeah modern the, London modern not London, stuffy right. old-fashioned London <laughs> no. kind of modern Funky, London groovy yeah London. <laughs> it, you know when, it, when our designer did the, this build she did she did the the Queen and Beaver and also this place it was kind of bringing uh, the uh, the old back to modern. Uh, so, yeah. you know, the room as you, you look at it, the way that we approach uh, the ambience of the place, it, it is old, but then I remember when uh, Elisa Sauvey, the designer, she, she painted it green and uh, I went home and I said, she's painted it green. And uh, the question was, how green? I said, pretty green. Bloody green. <laughs> It kind of modernizes it with the colors and everything. But then, you know, you look at the wallpaper that we have behind us, and this is William Morris wallpaper. William Morris oh, was a, an architect of England sure. who designed, you know, massive houses, but he also designed the wallpaper to go into the houses. So we, we are, we've always had a real nod to history and uh, that kind of depth of understanding of what's That is like. very cool. I did not know that William yeah. Morris did wallpapers. That is... I need to research that. <laughs> That's great. What's the... Um, the name Oxley. Okay, so uh, when I was at uh, when we were running the Queen and Beaver, I met a, a gentleman, and he was in for lunch, an English gentleman, old guy, and he was in with a friend in for lunch, and that lunch turned into dinner, and uh, there were many beers had, and many conversations <laughs> had, and many you know debates and everything, and I was like, who is this guy? And I I introduced myself, and we had a great conversation. Uh, he was called Frank Oxley. 
And Frank Oxley, D-Day veteran, landed on the beaches of Normandy at 15, I don't know what he was, wow. it was crazy. You know, the, the guy, many stories, he was involved in the Avril Air, he was involved, in, he was a, a newspaper reporter. Like this guy, you know, his stories were vast, vast. And he, he had a love, he, was a, he had a love for England, uh, he had a love for Churchill. Uh, he have a love for English history. So we got into conversations about it. And then probably about a month later, I got a letter. Not an email, a letter through the mail. <laughs> and it was a letter from Frank who suggested readings, you know, history readings and the books I should buy. And he said, if you want some of these books, I have them, you can borrow them. So we struck up a relationship there, which uh, it lasted many years. Uh, Frank passed away a couple of years ago. When we were building the Oxley, I, I was looking for a name. And the thing with a name, you know, like, like an album, everything's got to flow. So the music's got to look like the album cover, the names, everything's got to flow. Same with the restaurant, everything's got to flow. So it's very difficult finding names for restaurants that really sum that up. And, and so that haven't been used somewhere. Haven't been used, yeah. exactly. And that's, that's always the case. You come up with something, you Google it, and all of a sudden yeah, you can't use it because there's right. one down the street. So, you know, one day it was like, okay, Oxley, Frank Ox, Oxley, the Ox, the Oxley, and that's how it came about. It's a very English name. It means uh, where the oxen used to water in, in a pasture, but it has massive English heritage. But the thing for me was, one of the things about Frank was he, he, he had a level uh, that he would accept things at. So it was, you know, the question would be, you know, would Frank accept this? Ooh. I like that. So for what me, that's, my, that's my personal thing with Frank. It and is your so, North Star. Exactly. Yeah. Frank Oxley was the, the inspiration for the name. And I remember calling him up and I said, hey, Frank, how are you doing? He said, good. And he said, I'm not, not strong for a while. I said, no, I've been busy. So we're opening up another pub. I said, oh, fantastic. Because Frank didn't used to drink water. And I'm not going to use the quotes. but He only drank beer? He only drank beer. He always used to quote, I think it was an American author who said, you know, I don't drink water because fish F in water. And he always used to use that quote, which was endearing. So he used to drink beer, and he used to drink quite a lot of beer. And he used to come in and sit and have, you know, four or five pints, and then he'd be on his way. I, I phoned him up, and I said, Frank, you know, we're opening up another pub. It's sort of fantastic. And I said, well, we're going to call it the Oxley. And that was the only time he had no words. Oh, the only time. wow. And he was, he was made up. absolutely beautiful story. Made up. So was he here for the opening? He was here for the opening. Great. And he actually got interviewed by the National Post here, uh, which... For Frank at a, a later age opened up so much because he, the, his name was out there again and then people started reaching out to him, old friends and colleagues oh. and everything. So everybody started reaching out to him. So, you know, hopefully he met up some, with some people that he hopefully wanted to see. <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, a good caveat. <laughs> you know, towards the end of his life. So uh, I was very pleased for that. But yeah, Frank passed away and uh, he's sorely missed. Yeah. That's the best backstory that I've ever heard for a restaurant so. name. You know, I just got full body shivers yep. from that story. That's beautiful. I can't wow. wait for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to take you back in time to sure. when, you know, there you were growing up in England. I think you were in Totting? Tottington. Yes. yes. Just outside of the market town Berry, uh, which is northwest of Manchester. Okay. So... Tell us about the first experience, if you can remember it, with curry. I suppose my, my first influence, where would my first influence with curry have been? It, it was known, there, there was, you know, as a kid you would see people going out for beers at the pub and then they'd go down the pub for a curry. 
you know, and that was kind of the mantra. Okay, we're going to go for a curry tonight. And as as I as I got older, sure enough, I found myself in the curry houses. But you know, the 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 engaging curry, and this is a nod to the dish that you were mentioning before about the lamb curry, the lamb Midlands curry. Um, you know, people go out the curry and they say, okay, give me the hottest you've got. Give me the hottest curry you've got. Which, you know, I like spicy food, but it has to have flavor to it. Absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, I've made some spices before, which not just hot, there's layers of flavor here. And that's, that's what we work with. We're working with layers of flavor. So, you know, it's, it's like anything. Like, you take a glass of wine, you'll, you'll taste one thing, but there's several different layers underneath it. It's the same with spicing, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, the, the initial uh, uh, exposure to that would be going down to the curry house and having a hot curry. And so, um, one of the things that I did with the, the dish that you're talking about, when I, when I was saying to, when I was telling the guys in the kitchen how I wanted this, this is going to be our one and only curry on the menu at that time. And I said, I need you to make this offensively spicy. Nice. It had to be offensively <laughs> spicy. But I don't care if 60% of the people eat it, send it back. This is our right. curry. Because it was a nod to those times when the guys used to go out and say, I want the hottest curry. And it's funny because when we serve it in the restaurants, you know, the guys go, oh, yeah, I'm fine with heat. I'm like literally five minutes later. Got any yogurt? Do you have any yogurt? <laughs> so, you know, and that's, that's the experience that I want to give somebody with, the, with Midlands lamb curry is that it is offensively spicy. But anybody who does like spice will realize it's actually a complex dish. And it's not actually an Indian spice. It's Portuguese. So it's a, it's a, the curry in itself is, is a vinegar base. But it is quite a complex spice going through it. There's never just one spice. There's, there's probably five or six different spices in there. Have you dialed back the spice level at all? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the managers do talk to the line guys to dial it back, but I am of the mind that it should be, when it's served, it should be offensively spicy. Yeah. That's so great. I need to get somebody an experience. You know? And it's funny because you get the egos in and you break people's egos. And right. I, I hear know. Frank Oxley cheering you on right now. Oh, very now. much so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very much so. You also use curry in a couple of other dishes. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about the difference between like how you would use curry in a kedgeri or with chickpeas versus the lamb? Sure, and we have to understand that curries and curry spices have been used by different, it's not just India, right? there's Sri Lanka, there's France, there's the Portuguese, right. there's, there's so many different cultures that dip into this kind of stuff. So we'll start from, you know, uh, we, do, we make a house ketchup here and people say it's the curry ketchup. Well, it's not a curry ketchup, but it tastes like curry. And uh, so it's kind of a nod to the, I, I have a little German in me somewhere around the way, if you, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, there was probably a friendly German again somewhere. <laughs> but, you know, the, the sausage and curry verse, the, uh, with the curried ketchup and that kind of thing. So it, it was kind of an unconscious nod to that. But in the actual spice there, there's, there's six different spices. But the, the thing that gives it a curry taste is a spice called fenugreek. And fenugreek is a beautiful spice. The, the actual grass itself is fed to cattle to perpetuate milk production. The, the spice does have a curry taste to it. So when people taste uh, our ketchup, they, they say, oh, this is a curry ketchup. It is, but it's not. It wasn't meant to be that way. Because, for example, when I'm doing duck confit, I will actually put fenugreek into that mix as well. So it gives you a, a layer uh, a back layer uh, of curry that you wouldn't necessarily, if you do eat duck confit, you would not necessarily taste it, but it's there. And then we go to something like the kedgeri, as you mentioned. The kedgeri, uh, you know, that comes from the Raj. That was when the Scottish was in it. The Scottish 
we're in India, and they brought that back, and it's a Scottish dish, and we we do a beautiful kedgeri now, which is a is a milder spice, but it, it doesn't have any heat to it, but it has those curry tastes to it as well, and we serve the kedgeri with uh, smoked haddock in there and a poached egg on top, and then we, we garnish it with some almonds and some uh, coriander or cilantro, as you would say. And then we serve that at lunch. That's a lunch or a brunch dish, which is a beautiful dish and very, very flavorsome and uh, an old dish that you don't see very often. This is starting to get a bit unfair. <laughs> I am becoming absolutely <laughs> ravenous right now. And what about the curry chickpea dish? Is that a, a hot curry? Uh, the uh, chickpea dish is... Uh, it, you know, we could use that as a as a side for something to people put on top of it. Uh, it has a beautiful texture, and the the spicing of that again, you, we can do a base spice for it, and then we can make it as hot or as mild as possible. Nice. So it really depends. In the Indian culture, you know, when you go into an Indian household, um, my mother's married to an Indian guy, so I know this. You know, when they when the relatives come and visit, and the first thing that happens is that the tin of spice comes out of the back of the cow, and then somebody puts the rice on, and they go, "Okay, what are we going to eat?" Which is, it, you know, I Isn't find that it fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, but they they have it's their, like good tailgating. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And they, they have their tin of spices, and that's their mother spices, and then they work from right. that to whatever they're going to make. Hmm. And then, you know, you know, because I'm classically French trained, and I, I love the French food, you know, you could go to like a, a vanaran, which is a French spice, which is a very mild spice. But again, it's a, it's a French spice in a curry. so. Wow. Interesting. So other than fenugreek, what other spices do you find yourself gravitating to these days? And I know that it changes with seasons and it changes with what, what you're interested in. The thing with spices, it's very, very complex. I was mentioning clove earlier today. And clove is one of those things that it, it's not necessarily, like we used to, as kids, if we had a toothache, we put a clove on our tooth right. as one of the spices. And you, it numbs the pain. And then you had to go to school. But, uh, <laughs> or eat more cloves. Or eat more cloves, yeah. <laughs> but clove is one of those things when, when you actually taste it, it's, it's an aggressive spice, but the, you know, the Portuguese use it in desserts that it's so heavily cloved, it takes it to a new realm that it actually becomes palatable. I, I find those kind, of, those kind of spices really interesting, that the quantity of your use of spice, it really determines how you enjoy it. So, you know, saffron in a, in a paella, you know, I love paella, it's a, it's a great dish, but if you put too much saffron in it, it spoils the dish. It tastes like soap. It does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, you've got the saffron, you want to put saffron in it, but it, it's less rather than more with, with the cloves. It, it, it's a real dance, a real dance. And then you have something like black cardamom, which not many people would use. There's no green cardamom, not black cardamom. Right. We make a product here, and we have uh, the Queen of Beef for many years, which for some reason I fancied a cheese sandwich with brownstone pickle and I didn't have any brownstone pickle I said guys make some brownstone pickle here's the recipe and wrote it down and we put black cardamom into it and black cardamom is a is an interesting spice it's um, it's a spice that almost clears your nasal passages when you smell it and then it has the, it has a really interesting uh, profile to it but again it's that back spice to something like uh, the brownstone pickle which is a, an English fave as well it's great with a cheese sandwich yum <laughs> that's, that's amazing <laughs> You, you are quite an expert on spices because of sort of your background, your classic training, but also I think just your personality. You are very knowledgeable about a whole range of spices. Yeah, Yeah. It's it, with cooking, it, it is all about those layers, like I've been mentioning, yeah. whether it's garlic, thyme, bay leaves, whether it's a stock, whether it's a spice. You're, you're always looking to put something in. It's amazing, you know, somebody could produce something and they, 
you it's missing one thing and it may be a little bit of heat in it to cut down the richness of the dish or it may be another layer that they've, they've missed out you know I uh, I remember uh, it's not a spice but it's a seasoning uh, the use of salt I was in this French uh, school we did an exchange when I was at college and we were doing this big gala dinner there were 600 people doing it come in and we you know, one of the items on one of the dishes was a carved pair of clogs out of potatoes. It was, you know, oat cuisine. <laughs> and, and I remember being in this kitchen and there was a table with about 20 or 30 chefs around and they had this one dish in front of them. And they're all speaking in French and they're all being very French and passionate and all this kind of thing. And we were the grunts. We were the English guys who nobody really cared about. We didn't think anybody was going, you know, you know, the French were the French and the, French, the English were, were nothing. And so they were all tasting this one dish, and they were all having conversation about this dish, this dish, this dish. And I remember very vividly, and I, it was my arrogance or ignorance or whatever it was, but I went in and I got a spoon and I tasted it, and I wanted it needs salt. <laughs> did the they room hit, went quiet. Did they hit you over the head? The room went quiet, and the, the lecturer went, I need salt. And the thing that I was tasting, and I, I, I still remember to this day, I could taste all the layers, but all those layers weren't brought together. It's just one item that can bring these items, these layers together. And if that missing item's there, the dish is not complete. So that that was an example of those spices being used. And in that dish, it was like a, it was almost like a bouillabaisse uh, velouté, if you like. So you know some of the flavors that are going in there, they're beautiful flavors, but they all need to be brought together for it to 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 really show up. Did the French chefs talk to you after you proclaimed salt was missing? Um, I, yeah, begrudgingly, I think they did in French. I don't know what they were saying, you know, but and they, they did express themselves. But no, uh, it, was, it was a memorable experience. And, uh, and it, it's, not about, it's not about, look what I know. It was about, it's an understanding of season. Um, I'm going to switch topics for a second, and you've got the Oxley, and we're sitting in, and it's beautiful. But you also have the Wix and Social, and tell us what's happening there. Uh, yeah, and the Wix and Social. How are they same, different? Uh, well, the Wix and Social, it was uh, it was another venture. So three years into the Oxley, uh, I decided that I wanted to open another place. Space was brought to me, which which I found was was a great space. It was in an old, well, it used to be an old warehouse. The, the architect of that space was uh, a guy, Frank Wixon. That's why we call it the Wixon Social. He's done properties around Toronto, a couple of churches, fire halls, that kind of thing. This was an old uh, warehouse space. And so a condo development had taken over the place. At that time, it was one of the biggest facade removals and uh, replacements at the time. So they moved the uh, original facade to the center of the road and dug the hole, built the condo, put the facade back on the front. So the space is a beautiful historical spot. And my intent there it was to do a modern gastropub. It was, you know, you come into the Oxley and it is old England kind of thing. Uh, there I wanted to modernize it to entice younger clientele into the space. Similar kind of food, but with more free range to dip into different cultures and that kind of thing. Great. And how's it been doing? And The Wix and Social has been doing okay. Down in that area, it's a developing area. Young Street is being cleaned up. Where exactly is it? We're, we're a block and a half north of Wellesley, off of Young, in between Young and Base. But unfortunately, as I was mentioning earlier, 
Uh, we had uh, some massive water damage happen a couple of months ago from one of the condos above, which has closed us down. So there's oh, actually dear. they've actually wow. taken out everything. The insurance company went in there. They cleaned it all up. There's not even a glass in the place right now. So we're going to rebuild and reopen, hopefully in a couple of months, but we'll have to see. Any and changes to the There's going to be a concept change, uh, but you're going to have to keep watching that space. Okay, we can't wait. My gosh. But will the curry be on the menu? Uh, there's a possibility there will be a curry on the menu or some kind of spice in there, yes. yes. Excellent. Well, it's come to that time in our podcast today where we're going to do our five questions that we like to ask every chef we speak to. So, Batman or Superman? Superman. Oh, why? I find Batman dark. Yes. And Superman was, you know, the all-American, if you like, American kind of idea of a hero. It was always good against evil. I didn't find him to be deranged in any way. So <laughs> Just so that you know, Superman is in the lead of our survey of chefs. Okay, <laughs> okay next question. We're going to strand you on a desert island. What's the one spice you're going to take with you, other than salt? <laughs> right, because there's lots of salt. There's lots yeah, of salt, salt in we, the ocean. We can dry it out and we can yeah. find salt. It's, it's a really tough question. And I, I, you know, you, 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 there's different spices for different occasions. And there's different spices for different foods. And, you know, it, spice can be a mood thing. You know, you think about settling into a hot toddy with a piece of cinnamon in there and a couple yeah. of cloves. Or you can think about, you know, doing a fiery curry and, you know, with the boys and having a beer or the girls, should I say, as well. So it, it's a difficult one. I have a love for fenugreek because it is a diverse spice. It's not necessarily used a lot. And I think it's a very complex spice. And you can have it as a background spice, you can have it as an underlying tone, or it could be leaded, you know, as it is in our, in our ketchup. So I, I'm going to say fenugreek, and it goes great with fish as well. So Excellent. We'll, great. We'll go there. Okay, thank you. All right, your favorite comfort food? Apple pie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with cinnamon. <laughs> Are you a baker as well as a chef? I, I would never class myself as a baker, but what I did do in my career is learn how to bake. What are you going to have with that apple pie? Vanilla ice cream. Okay. <laughs> is, is there apple pie on your menu? Uh, occasionally we do put it on there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay, next question. What's your go-to entertaining dish? Now, when you're not here, so you're at home, people drop by. What do you make? Uh, it, it's an interesting question because... There's so many things that we can do. The thing is, that we, the thing about me and food, I'm a chef by trade. I'm a restauranter. I'm a, I, you know, that's what I do now. And one of the things that I've come to understand is that it's not necessarily about the food, what I do. It's about everything. It's about the hospitality. The food is just a vehicle for conversation. So when you ask me that question about the, the food that I, you know, I want to do to entertain, I, initially it comes up as, as a pasta, a beautiful pasta, because there's several things that happen at that point. One, it's relatively easy to prepare for me, so therefore I can be engaged in my guests. I can't be engaged in my guests if I'm going to be in the kitchen and I'm performing what I do in a commercial kitchen. So the pasta allows me to be more engaged with my guests. Everybody, I'd say 99% of people, will eat a bowl of pasta as well. So they're comfortable with that as well. One of the, uh, you know, what happens in the restaurants, and, you know, I do it on my menus. I always put, you know, 
the chicken at the top of the menu because when people read the menu, you have to bring them to a comfort level. So if I put something like, you know, if I put something like uh, ox kidneys uh, at the top Good of the point. menu, people are going to go, oh, I don't want to eat it. Put chicken on there, you go, okay, chicken. Well, so they engage in it. So I'm trying to, in a professional sense and also in, a, in the hospitality in, in my home, I'm looking for people to get relaxed so we can get into the conversation. Okay, so what goes in this pasta? We're not going to let you off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a go-to pasta, which is uh, uh, it's, it's very simple. It's little onions, some garlic, some thyme, bay leaves, smoked bacon, uh, tomato. And then the, the trick to the end of the pasta is you reduce all down the, the tomato juice. So don't throw your tomato juice away. But reduce it all down until it's a little dry. And then I throw in like a cup of olive oil. That's just for two servings. And then you boil it really fast so it emulsifies. So you get this rich, beautiful, wow. it's, it's a beautiful uh, way of doing pasta. And there's a little chili in there so just to bring a little heat to it. I'm going home to try it. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> That's fantastic. And your most memorable meal. <sighs> yeah, it's it's it so difficult. And again, I was thinking about it today and there's so many different ones. You know, one I, I, I bore the guys in the kitchen with... Uh, was when I was in uh, in Switzerland, I was working on the, the banks of the uh, Lake Geneva. And uh, again, I was very young. I was probably 16 at that point. And, uh, so last year. Yeah, last year. Exactly. <laughs> well, 10 years ago. Let's give me that. 10, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's pushing it. But, um, and uh, the guys in the kitchen only spoke French or German. And no English. And the only English they knew, I'm not even going to say. Because it was, it was just not good. And one day, through one thing or another, they communicated the, the, that I was going to eat the best chocolate ice cream I've ever eaten. And I went, okay, that's great. So they took me in, and it was the best chocolate ice cream I've ever eaten. It was Swiss. It was, it was rich. It was decadent. It was just something you just wanted to have a spoon and just sit there rather than just mow it down. But I remember talking to the guys in the kitchen probably seven or eight years ago, and I said, okay, this is the story. This was the, this was the best chocolate ice cream I've ever eaten. And I said, now we're going to produce the best chocolate ice cream I've ever eaten, and we we did. It took us a little while to get it there, but it, it's it the ice cream that we make in house now is surpasses that ice cream. I think you may just have started an avalanche of people arriving here when you talked about your chocolate ice cream <laughs> being better than your than one of your memories. I, I will put it up against any chocolate ice cream. Any wow. chocolate ice cream. I think I need to try that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you can do that for well, breakfast, doesn't it? <laughs> I think so. Well, I saw some people starting to come in, so we won't uh, we won't take any more of your time. Thank you so much. This has been sensational. It's been a pleasure meeting you, Andrew, and uh, it is even better being here in your restaurant. So thank you. Well, thank you for coming around. So it's been a pleasure talking to you. One small favor before we wrap up, if you enjoyed this podcast today or any of our episodes at The Gorgeous Lunch, please post a quick review on iTunes. It means so much to us and helps other people who love to cook find this podcast. Our shout out this week will be familiar to some of you. But just in case you haven't been to the Creamore Collingwood area recently, 
The new farm is a certified organic family farm that's located just west of Cremor, Ontario. They produce high-quality organic vegetables that can be found in a number of restaurants and retail stores. And every summer, they host fundraisers that include fabulous meals as well as some great concerts. We want to shine the spotlight on their work with Farms for Change. They advocate for sustainable, profitable, small farms as the foundation for a healthy food system. And they believe local organic food should be readily available to everyone. Farms for Change is a partnership between organic farmers and Community Food Centers Canada. So keep an eye on their website, thenewfarm.ca, for upcoming events or join their mailing list to stay informed. You can find out more about this gorgeous lunch by going to our website, thegorgeous.co. That's also where you'll find out more about the Gorgeous Spice Club. And we really hope you'll sign up. In the meantime, send us your comments and suggestions at info at thegorgeous.co and follow us on Instagram. This has been a gorgeous production. Until next time, wishing, wishing you a, a gorgeous, gorgeous day. day.